Hi, my name is Aaron Kors, and I'm one of the co-organizers of Change Cafe, which is a grassroots series that provides resources as well as perspectives on changing your career and changing your life in a meaningful way and how others have gone about doing that. I want to start the web series with my own perspective of changing careers, um, and it will hopefully also give some context about why me and my fellow co-organizer have decided to embark upon this web series, this podcast to provide light to and uh, you know a bunch of people who have have done have done that successfully because we were both looking for career changes and to find more meaningful opportunities in life to fulfill ourselves. So I grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, and that's a small southern town that is mostly based economically on furniture manufacturing, which is great. And uh, furniture is, you know, our goods that, you know, sell for high price. And so there is, there's, there's some good jobs there. But if you're not someone who comes from a family that owns the furniture manufacturing plants, a plant, or someone who, you know, wants to work in a blue collar manual labor, you know, operations job, uh, putting together furniture in the factory, um, you know, of which I am neither. I, you know, there's not, there aren't a lot of opportunities. So I always knew that at some point, I think in my heart, as much as I love my hometown, that I was probably going to have to leave to find, you know, a job to find, you know, what, my, what makes me happy, what I consider my passion or my calling, which is, as I've learned, and I think that would be my first thought in terms of when someone asks, you know, how do I go about changing my job or my career? I don't think it's right um, for me. And I would say, you know, do you know what you want to do? And if you don't, you know, it's you, you discover that what you want to do by going out there and doing something, anything, volunteering, uh, community work, doing us doing a part-time job and, and figuring out what it is that makes you tick. And over time, I learned that community service and public involvement are, are what make me tick and what I truly enjoy. So I grew up in Hickory the two, with two parents who were both teachers, so they encouraged education. So after a year of undergraduate college at the University of Wilmington, uh, which is a satellite campus of the University of North Carolina, I went abroad to a university in the United Kingdom. And my dad, in particular, had always encouraged studying abroad because it would encourage, you would learn about a global global perspectives and you would you would grow because you'd be forced to you know be independent you know in a different country you know by yourself and you know he just he always just loved traveling and so I followed in his footsteps and went over to England to study for a year and while I was there you know the classroom experiences were great I definitely learned from different perspectives I was studying history but the thing that really, you know, made the experience worthwhile was volunteering. And when I was around campus one day, I think it was near the student union, and um, there were public bulletin boards. And, you know, of course, they have lots of different advertisements and universities for students, you know, to have jobs or, you know, to volunteer somewhere. And one of the opportunities that seemed to fit with my major, which again was history, was volunteering at a local history museum 
that was about 30 minutes on the train uh, from where the university was and where I was was staying, living uh, while studying at the university. So I contacted the person listed on the flyer. And every week I would go on the train to this smaller, um, smaller than the university town that where I was studying and living, a small English uh, town to volunteer at, a, at the History Museum. And I helped the curator put together educational programs. I helped her catalog historical artifacts and just learn from someone who had, uh, she had, the curator had been to, had studied at England's premier university, which is Oxford. Um, and so she had a great grasp on, on the creative and uh, liberal arts. And so, you know, just having that contact with someone like that um, on a regular basis and to be able to learn from them as a mentee, as someone who is, you know, working under them, um, even if it was in a volunteer, you know, mostly unpaid. I was reimbursed for train travel, but that was about it. Um, So it was pretty much an unpaid position. I learned about how to be involved and, you know, work for a nonprofit, you know, doing work that you know, benefits people or society in some way. And I really enjoyed it. um, And I found meaning in it. And uh, it also helped me start my love for education because I was working with educating the public and also children in some cases in the local town who came to the History Museum. And uh, it was it was just something that stuck with me. So I came back to the United States, graduated, and then realized that, you know, I had so much fun and learned so much in England and I wanted to study abroad again for my master's degree. And so I studied at a university in Ireland for an academic year for a, to obtain a master's of the arts in international relations. Uh, but it was taught by the School of History. So it was, it was, it was guided. The courses were guided in a you know, historical aspect. So again, I went abroad and you know, really loved w- traveling and meeting new people and learning new cultures. But the experience that really made the study abroad worth it was, again, volunteering and being involved in the community. Because while I was in Ireland, I took an extracurricular course that was not required by my degree or necessarily related to, you know, something that my professors were promoting. But again, just a flyer I saw somewhere in the student union or a place where students congregate, an advertisement that said, here's a free course that you can take to learn about global development. And development is helping other countries that are don't have the strongest economy or the best quality of life um, to grow and to obtain that quality of life. And so, you know, it was like a seven-part you know, class series, weekly taught by a nonprofit. And there are lots of global focused nonprofits in Ireland. It's a very charitable country and the culture there is is very, is very giving. So there's a lot of uh, global development there. And in that course where I was learning about how, again, international nonprofits would go into different countries and help improve people's quality of life. I met someone who in the class who was an, you know, a non-traditional undergrad or a graduate student, or so someone who was, you know, a little bit older than most of the students. Um, but because of that, had a lot of experience and actually worked in global development uh, and, you know, on, you know, in her day job, uh, worked as a community activist. So she had a very, she had experience and had a passion to help people around the world. But again, you know, made her money by being a consultant 
for nonprofit organizations in this community in Ireland and also, you know, others regionally who wanted to partner and do nonprofit work that benefited others. And she would provide them with, you know, leadership, basically, and organization coordination, uh, you know, skills. And she asked me after we talked a little bit and, you know, realized that, you know, we had personalities that, um, you know, were akin or, you know, we liked each other. She offered to take me on as a, as a volunteer uh, mentee, again, kind of similar to the museum volunteer opportunity in, in England that I had in the past. And so I accepted and it actually, my professors approved it as a work placement study, which was equal to to me taking another course uh, for my program and I worked for her you know and I was actually paid um, sort of as a graduate assistant and she was doing a lot of academic work again related to global studies uh, and and development and how to improve people's lives across the world but also um, was doing her PhD was serving as a consultant to nonprofits in the area um, you know Sometimes it was paid, sometimes it was just volunteer work that she did to help advocate for others in that part of Ireland. Um, she went to political events where there are elected officials and to learn what their positions were and try to advocate for certain certain things, uh, policies that would you know, improve people's quality of life and also, you know, coasted events herself. And one of the events that she organized was focused on Syrian refugees. At the time, there was an exodus of refugees from Syria seeking asylum, largely in Europe, because it, you know, was it's neighboring to the Middle East. And, you know, a lot of people in, in Europe had concerns and, you know, were, you know, had uh, potential misconceptions about refugees and immigrants. And so she wanted to put together an educational event for people to learn about you know, what was going on in Syria and why did these refugees were seeking asylum and, you know, how to help them. So she went about finding topic experts on Syrian history, as well as finding people who would, t- would speak to how to integrate the refugees and immigrants into Irish society and, you know, other development and nonprofit agencies that, you know, would want to talk about and share what they're doing as well, again, with the purpose of educating the public. So she found topic experts, she found a meeting space on the university where I studied, where we were both studying. And, you know, that so that meeting space, since we were both students, technically was free. And then did a lot of marketing and putting it out there on Twitter, on the university website, uh, you know, through media channels, so that People would know about the event and that it was public, free, and you could come and learn about Sierra refugees and how you can help and, you know, know more. So seeing how she did that event, I watched her very closely, helped her with coordinating and organizing and getting the word out, and then helped her, you know, the day of the event when, you know, there were a lot, there was a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts and, you know, organizing and getting there early and setting up and talking to speakers and, you making sure everyone knew what was what was going on, that they were in the loop. Um, and doing all of that and watching her, I realized that that was something I wanted to do as well. Again, going along with my first volunteer uh, experience uh, in undergrad um, at the History Museum in England. And so I came back to the U.S. after finishing up my master's 
at the university in Ireland and went back to my hometown in Hickory because my parents were there. My sibling was there who, um, my sibling is someone who, you know, needs a little bit of extra help. Um, you know, some may call special needs and I wanted to stay there in Hickory, North Carolina for at least, um, you know, a couple of months because I wanted to be around while my sibling was navigating, uh, graduating from high school and, you know, the adult life. And so I tried to get involved in the community in Hickory, North Carolina, and the way that my mentor in Ireland, the community organizer, was involved. Um, except this time, you know, I was I was doing my own thing. You know, I was being an independent community organizer like my mentor in Ireland. So I actually organized a similar seminar, a public education event on Syrian refugees that summer after I came back from Ireland uh, independently. And I did the same thing that my community organizer mentor did in Ireland. If I, I found a topic speaker, just reaching out to them, you know, and uh, a retired professor at a local college who, you know, I figured since they retired, you know, they might have a lot of time on their hands and, you know, but they're still a professor. They still have a lot of expertise in the subject and probably might enjoy sharing it. And I couldn't offer them a speaking fee. Um, you know, I was at the time, you know, living with my parents and also, you know, looking for work in, in a bigger metro area, you know, like Washington, D.C. and New York with my international degree. So, you know, I wasn't making any money. I couldn't offer them anything, but I just sent them an email saying, hey, would you like to come talk about Syrian refugees? I saw you're an expert in the Middle East history. And the professor actually responded, came to the event and was a great speaker and helped educate people. And I used the skills I learned, uh, marketing skills from the community organizer to put flyers up in public places, send it to the local media, you know, so they would put it in the newspaper so people would see it in the community and hopefully come and learn. And the event ended up being a success and about 30 people came out and learned from the professor. And I actually videotaped my mentor in Ireland, the community organizer, who gave her own virtual uh, or remote, um, you know, talk about the, this, the topic. So having really enjoyed that, you know, I wanted to continue community organizing and, um, you know, but also wanted to find a job, uh, you know, and have income. So, um, you know, again, because I wanted to stay in Hickory for North Carolina for the foreseeable future, I started substitute teaching in the school, in the local school system. And, you know, that came from having done education work, you know, in Ireland and England, and then the seminar. So, you know, I was, I was interested in helping people learn. And when I became a substitute teacher, for the local school system, I was still looking for work in a bigger town because I ultimately wanted to, you know, live and work in a town that had more of a global, uh, um, you know, global atmosphere like Washington or New York. Um, but because I got involved in the local school system in Hickory and ended up becoming a full-time classroom teacher later, and then, um, you know, was working on the book bus for the district, and that was another project I really enjoyed. It was one of service and one of helping people learn. I ended up staying in Hickory for for a couple of years, which was great because it worked out with my desire to support my family as well. So after I left teaching, I was again in a position where I realized that I needed to find a job 
And, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted. I knew I wanted to work in the community. I had found working for the school district. It was great. Um, and I enjoyed the book bus initiative because it involved a lot of public outreach. But being a classroom teacher was very much a job that required you to be, you know, in a box in my eyes. And, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't as involved in the community as when I was a classroom teacher because you have to be in the classroom. I mean, it makes sense. And so I left classroom teaching and, you know, again, had the desire to be more involved in the community and wanted to make it, you know, not just something I was doing on the side, but something that would be a career opportunity, something that would be my long-term profession. And so I basically spent a year um, again, because it helped economically uh, that I was still living at home with my parents. I was became a substitute teacher for a different school district. So I was making income every day. Um, and I was also tutoring. So there was a little bit of money there as well. But I was really looking for a community role. And that took me, I left teaching in January of one year, full-time classroom teaching, resigned that. And then, you know, I worked on a political campaign in the spring. I worked at a history museum and visitor services for the summer. So that involved a lot of public contact, but unfortunately was a job where I wasn't making a living wage, um, even in you know, an area like Hickory where there was, you know, the, the cost of living was low. And then in the fall, I did a fellowship at the Institute of Political Leadership in North Carolina, which trains people to run for office and hold office in a, in a good you know, productive, you know, ethical way. So again, with my interest um, in the public sphere and through all those things, you know, even though I was, you know, my day job was substitute teaching at different schools every day for the county school district, you know, I was involved in other projects that I could find fulfillment and, you know, further, you know, my career ultimately. Because after doing a lot of volunteer work in the community, I became known in Hickory as someone who would do a good job, you know, with public outreach and with positive relationships with people. So when I was looking for a job, I, at the end of November, around that time, I had someone reach out to me who said, you know, I know you did a lot of, I know you do a lot of community work. I, you know, you reached out to me on Twitter advocating for, it was public transit in this case. Um, you know, I was tweeting at the transit authority in Hickory about, you know, my sibling using public transit to get to the community college to take a success skills course. And I, I had that year, um, I had tweeted out, maybe it was the year before I had tweeted out, you know, an appreciation or a thanks to them for the public transit service they provided to my sibling and myself who were, you know, going to the community college every day. And so when, again, that person who was the public relations representative at the transit authority was leaving, uh, resigning and going on to another position in her in her life, in her career, uh, she reached out to me and said, hey, I know you were passionate about public service and you sound like someone who is enthusiastic and would do a good job serving the bus riders and the customers of the transit authority. And I just remember how, you know, you made me feel, which was good, you know, when you tweeted at me um, and tweeted at the Transit Authority. So would you like to interview for this job? And, uh, you know, I'm leaving and, you know, I'd love to see that 
see someone who was passionate um, in the role. And so I applied for the job and got it and in December. So um, again, that was almost a full year of not having a full-time job after I left teaching and where I was having to do what felt like, you know, going back in time and, you know, being a substitute teacher for the second time and having to drive a little further because I was going to a different school district and, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. Um, you know, it wasn't a role that you know has a, a lot of social prestige and, you know, it was, it, it was hard, um, you know, and having to, you know, even though I was supporting my parents by staying with them, you know, I was also, you know, living with them as an, you know, as a individual adult. And so you have to, you know, adjust to certain things. Um, And so it, it, it took, again, it took almost a full year for me to find that role in public transit for to materialize and, you know, and, uh, you know, be the right time for me to jump into it. But it was the best job, you know, one of the best jobs I've ever had. And again, it was public relations. So I was writing press releases and doing social media for the transit authority to represent public, public transportation and the services that were offered. It was community affairs. I was representing the authority at different events that were going on in a four-county region uh, because the transit authority covered four counties. And it was a lot of project management and, you know, overseeing, you know, bus route changes or, you know, the, the efforts to make sure that seniors and people with disabilities had special education classes to teach them how to use the bus. So it was, it was a host of different things. Um, and it wasn't great pay, but it was a full-time career with benefits, and it was something that I was passionate about and wanted to do. And again, because I had made contact and developed a relationship with the person, you know, with the, the point person at the transit authority, um, you know, I was I was seen as someone who could potentially do a good job when they decided to vacate the position. And again, it was something that I ultimately. Uh, did do for about three years. And after that time, I worked in another position in Hickory at a hospital and marketing, uh, which was similar, um, not as much community work, and but it was higher pay. And I got to learn from someone who was very well seasoned in the world of marketing and writing. So it, it was a great role in a different way. And I was in that role for about nine months before I realized I needed to move on, not just from that particular job, but to from Hickory in North Carolina as well. You know, I just found, you know, myself traveling a lot on the weekends to different places across North Carolina to go to, you know, a political event or to go to cultural event or just to get out of town. And even though I love Hickory and I love North Carolina, you know, it was looking back, you know, I see, you know, I was, I was ready to, to do something, to move to a bigger area and where there are more opportunities and there's a bigger pond for me to grow professionally and personally. So I informed my boss and then started making plans to you know, move to Washington, D.C., probably because, again, of my interest in politics and public life and civics, um, as well as being involved in the community, since those are all interrelated. And so I started reaching out to anyone in my network, you know, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, you know, personal family members, friends, uh, people who I had met through work and, you know, who 
relocated to, to the DC area and just started calling them up and saying, Hey, like I want to move to DC and, and I want to work in community engagement and outreach and serve the public. You know, do you have any advice? How did you get your job? You know, even if it wasn't a job that was necessarily related or a job that, you know, an industry that, you know, the connection I had was working in, you know, that wasn't, you know, something that I would want to work in for one reason or the other. Um, you know, they have their own connections and their own network that they could, you know, point me to. And so after you know, dozens of conversations with with people, um, again, who were friends, family, or professional network. Um, my aunt, who lives in Alexandria, uh, was one of those conversations. And she offered to let me stay with her until I found a position, a full-time position in a career in, in D.C. And so because I knew that she was someone who was giving and, you know, wanted to help other people, I very much uh, happily accepted her her generous offer and relocated to DC without a job, which some people, including my own parents, and you know, I very much understand the wisdom behind it, but you know, advised me against you know moving and quitting my job at the hospital, which was you know a great career and a great industry healthcare. Um, and moved to a different town where I wasn't sure I was going to make it. And, you know, I, I look back on that, um, you know, because I've done it again when I left teaching, um, you know, I've done volunteer things that later led to a job. Um, you know, I, I didn't have as much anxiety about it uh, because I knew that if I put in the work, I would ultimately be successful. And I, I'm just a person who believes that, you know, things happen for a reason and things work out. Again, if you work hard enough and you're open to the path leading you to wherever it goes. And so before I left my job at the hospital, you know, I made sure to you know, figure out who the point person was in HR or employment verification, because I knew I would need that when I was going to look for a job in DC, you know, so that people knew, you know, that I'd you know, worked in marketing there and that was my previous position and that, that um, you know, I was telling the truth about that. I made sure to resign at the beginning of March, um, so at the beginning of a calendar month, so that I would have healthcare benefits through that, you know, again, what was going to become a previous employer, the hospital, uh, through the end of the month. And then, you know, of course, have, um, maybe I shouldn't say of course, not everyone knows that, um, but you have COBRA, the government-sponsored you know, discounted healthcare plan for people who have uh, experienced unemployment or have otherwise, you know, left a position uh, for one reason or another and not gone to a, you know, immediately gone to another job. And so knowing that, knowing that had had a little bit of, of leeway and economic security and, you know, I was going to live with my aunt and she was very nice and not charging me rent for the first couple months because I was you know, looking around and doing different things, you know, I, I felt a little secure and I had a little bit of savings as well. Um, but before I left my position at the hospital, I also made sure that I signed up again uh, for the third time um, in my life so far. I signed up to be a substitute teacher, um, which is a great role if you're someone who is transitioning between career jobs and full-time work because, you know, you're at a different school every day. You know, if you don't like the students, you don't have to come back. Um, you know, if their behavior isn't great or the administration isn't supportive of what you're trying to do in the classroom, you know, it's a job that, you know, you're given what you're, what the students are supposed to do. And for the most part, you know, the teacher tells them what to do before they leave. Uh, you know, it's, it's a job that again, is uh, again, I think the, the big thing is flexibility and, 
because of COVID and because of shortages and the labor, the labor supply across our country and so many industries, there is such a great need for substitute teachers that, you know, almost every public school district, you know, I would even hazard a guess to say every school district, literally everyone is, you know, desperately in need of substitute teachers on a daily basis. So you can work every day. Um, And so I made sure to do that substitute teacher training for our district in Northern Virginia before I left the hospital in North Carolina, that job there. And so then the first week when I was up in Virginia with living with my aunt, I was able to, you know, start at this, at a school, you know, and then, and that was that several day job. And then I did another uh, substituted at another school later that first week. So I was already, you know, I had something lined up to make income um, and I was already, I was already doing that week one. So uh, I think leaving a job strategically is important, you know, not just to set up for your next job, you know, and making sure you have the employment verification contact and, you know, maybe someone in your department who can recommend you. Uh, but, you know, also making sure that you can make ends meet, you know, in between. And as soon as I got to Washington, D.C., I made sure to, you know, every week, every day, pretty much look up on Google, you know, keywords, you know, community events or networking events or you know, um, events in D.C., events in the area and just see what popped up. You know, and Google has, you know, puts together a calendar of, of events from different event sites like Eventbrite and, you know, other, you know, newspapers and local media um, in your geographic area. Uh, so you can see a bunch of, you know, events, whether they be free or not free or um, community or related to personal enjoyment, things for fun. Um, and so I would just go to, you know, what feels like felt like random events. Um for fun, you know, it, it was sometimes I would go to, you know, a bar for a bar crawl. Um, but, you know, you would meet people and make connections. I would also go to networking events. Like I went to uh, the Washington Diplomat, which is an international relations. So related to my master's, um, but not necessarily something that I had um, done in the past um, in terms of employment. Um, but an international affairs event where I made connections, added people on LinkedIn, followed up afterwards, said it was nice to meet them, you know, the standard uh, networking, uh, you know, protocol. And, uh, you know, so, but it was also a way for me to make, again, not just professional connections, but to make friends. And, you know, I definitely want to add in this, you know, testimony of sorts that making friends and having a mental health outlet is critical when you change jobs. Uh, Just you know, because just like you need economic means, you need to be able to make ends meet in some way, in some interim role, part-time or full-time, you need to have ways to, you know, you know, get out and talk to someone, you know, have a sounding board with some, with a person you trust, you know, just have fun with people, um, with, 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 uh, with friends. And so I think that's important to the story as well. So it, it, And it's stressful because you don't know, you know, where you're headed necessarily um, when you're transitioning a job and transitioning in life. And you don't know, you know, if you find a job, is is it going to have, are you going to make enough um, at first where you can support yourself? You know, uh, you know, there's just so many questions that go along with, with changing your life and having social mobility, you know, or getting to where you want to go. And so mental health, uh, being aware of it and being taking care of yourself is important. And but it also adds it added another, um, even though uh, being social was a stress reliever, it was also it added stress to my life because I was not just finding a job, but I was 
in DC, a new town where I didn't know people, finding, making new friends. And that's always stressful to come to a new community, a new place and to have to start over. So I just, I always felt like I was juggling. Um, I feel like there's a cartoon somewhere where there's a monkey juggling a bunch of plates on sticks and he's trying to have the plates like spin around and not fall over. And that's what I felt like when I came to DC in March and, you know, didn't find full-time career employment until August and didn't start that role until September. So basically six months of having to make ends meet, even though I did have savings and I was living with a family member, you know, and um, I, had a, I had to pay for expensive, you know, food and costs, you know, when I was networking and meeting up with people, even if it was just for fun, you know, in DC, uh, I was having to pay for car uh, maintenance. You know, there were, so, there were other things that had to be paid for. So I had to balance making money in the interim, looking for a career job, um, and making friends and establishing myself. And so it was it was a lot to balance. But again, if you have the support system, if you and if you don't, you know, if you look for friends as you're networking, people who might not serve as a professional opportunity, but maybe would serve you as a personal friend. Um, you know, it's all helpful in the long run, you know, holistically. So while I was substitute teaching and trying to make friends and network and go to different events every, you know, what we felt like every day of every week uh, for a six month period, I was also, of course, the, the main reason I was there was to find full time professional employment, in Washington, D.C. Metro. And again, I knew I wanted to do community work, but at a larger scale than Hickory or North Carolina could offer. So I, again, used a lot of Google search and keywords and typed in, you know, community affairs, jobs, D.C., public relations, jobs, D.C., marketing jobs, D.C., even though marketing, you know, is more of an office job, you know, technically. And um, but it's related to to community affairs in a way because you're providing a message from an organization. So, you know, knowing those keywords that could help you find a job that might have a slightly different title, but, you know, the same kind of work you want to do, um, at least in part, um, you know, is critical. So, you know, read job descriptions of jobs you've had in the past that you've liked and figure out what the keywords are, you know, unique words and use those to search for another job um, in your in your transition and your change. So I applied to about, I think in all, about 30 jobs you know, from Capitol Hill, being a staffer for an office, a uh, representative or a senator, to working in the nonprofit sector, um, international and global nonprofits, and also local nonprofits in D.C. that serve D.C. community, to um, government. Um, I looked on USA jobs for federal jobs. Um, so I was I was applying and getting out there and, you know, doing all kinds of things to find these positions that, I, that would fit me and fit for the employer as well. And so I think out of about 30 jobs I applied for, I was interviewed probably for half of those, um, maybe at the most max 20, where I received at least an initial interview. And I, again, ultimately found I was offered you know, really only one job, which I accepted and it ended up being the perfect job. Um, but during that, you know, I had an interview with uh, an association. Um, there are lots of trade associations that represent different industries in, in D.C. Uh, I had an interview with an association the first week in March of 2022 when I was when I first relocated to Washington. And, you know, I pretty much had an interview every week or every other week. Um, and 
you know, again, almost all of them didn't work out except for the one that thankfully did and would happen to be the perfect fit. So I would advise anyone who's looking for a job to realize that it's a numbers game. And, you know, unfortunately, you're going to apply to, unfortunately for your, you know, your spirit, maybe you may be applying to dozens and dozens of jobs and only hear back from, you know, a small percentage of them. And out of that, you might only get one or two job offers, you know, and this might be over the course of a half a year. Um, as it was for me, or a whole year, or you know, any any unknown amount of time. And unfortunately, um, getting a job, a full time career job, is you know, is a uh, unlike a lot of things in life, is a sum zero game. You either have it or you don't. And until you get to that point, you know, you don't know when that again opportunity will arise. I didn't know when the public relations representative at the Transit Authority, of North Carolina, would uh, would resign a position and then think highly enough of me to ask me to apply for it. So, you know, it's, it was, uh, you know, it's always an unknown and then that causes anxiety. Um, but just keep pushing, just keep getting out there. Um, keep searching. That's all, that's all you can do. Again, it's a numbers game. And so I interviewed for many positions. I made it to the final interview in a couple of cases and thought that the job was right. Um, but ultimately, um, I didn't find the job I came to where I now work, which is the Metro, the Transit Authority in Washington, D.C., um, until August. I, and it was, again, it just I stumbled upon it. And on Google, by typing in keywords, community engagement, D.C., and the position popped up. And when I saw that it was something that I wanted to do, and that I've already done, have experience in representing tra public transportation in the community sphere and advocating for the services provided, um, in this case, by the Metro Transit Police Department. I applied for it. And then because I knew, and as, as I'm sure anyone knows who's gotten a job at any point in this you know, economy and in the past, I think ever, you know, that it's who you know. And so because I didn't necessarily know anyone at the Public Transit Authority in Washington, I looked up chief executives of the company on Google. I then figured out, you know, I found one who was the chief executive of communications who seemed to have an interesting profile, was out there, was energetic, enthusiastic. I read an article about her. And so then I just figured out her email address by figuring out a, a Metro email address, a standard one, and then just, you know, changing it for her name and last name and emailed her um, and sent her my resume and said, hey, I applied for this position. You don't know me, but I'm really energetic about public transportation and I want to serve the Washington community. Uh, I would appreciate it if you would give me any advice and or send my resume to HR or, you know, um, have them flag my application. And she actually responded a couple hours later and said that she was delighted by my enthusiasm for public service and was going to forward my application or rather tell HR to star my application that I already submitted uh, for you know, review. And I was told out of about, uh, out of over 100 applications for that position, you know, I ended up um, being selected for interview and again, was ultimately successful in obtaining the job. And I really believe it, it has, you know, in part due to the fact that, you know, I just cold, not cold called because it wasn't a phone call. I couldn't find a phone number. Um, although I could have if I looked hard enough. Um, and that's something that you can do as well. Um, but in today's age, um, an email is less intrusive. Um, and so I, again, just cold emailed um, a chief executive, figured out the email address system, the nomenclature, you know, for the Washington Transit Authority and just 
introduced myself and said that I was excited about the role. Um, and so I would encourage anyone, again, to just, it sounds old school, but um, you know, every time I interviewed for a position in DC um, this past year, 2022, when I relocated here in March, last March, um, I would always send a walk to the office physically in person to whatever office it was in DC, look up where it is, and in person drop off a thank you, handwritten thank you note to the the whoever was on the interview. And I made sure to leave it with the security person or the mailroom employee. Um, and I think the fact that it was delivered in person, so there wasn't like postage on it or anything, um, and the fact that it was handwritten and, um, you know, I always made sure to say something like kindness matters. And, you know, I believe that um, something that was expressive of me and that was positive. Um, I really believe those things help. Um, and, I would encourage anyone who, again, is looking for a job. I know it sounds old school, but there are some old school things that really do work and that are tried and true. So uh, now I have had this job at the Washington Metro Transit Police Department for since September. So that's three. Um, it's been almost four four months and I, I love it. You know, it's a job um, that I enjoy doing every day and, you know, I get to interact with the public and help bring them information and, you know, friendly face that they need, um, you know, when they need to talk to someone. So um, my success story is, you know, in large part due to uh, having the, the tools of social mobility, um, which is again, having economic support, you know, which is, you know, a lot, due to my aunt letting me stay with her, um, having interim jobs like substitute teaching, um, you know, and just having that initiative of just getting out there and being open to any opportunity. Um, you know, I almost immediately started volunteering with a nonprofit in DC when I got um, when I relocated to Washington in March of 2022. It was a meal delivery service. And you know, they have volunteer events where you can network and meet people and again, make friends because that's important as well for your mental health and just for the world in general, I think. So there are, again, so many moving parts to changing your career. Um, and I feel like especially after COVID, a lot of people realized they had a lot of time on their hands and realized, you know, I am not where I want to be in my career and in my life. And I want to change that. And so how do I do that? And I hope that by these perspectives of career change and life change that you'll hear on this audio series, again, Change Cafe, which is a grassroots attempt at providing meaningful conversations around career and life change, that you'll find meaning and you'll find, you know, little gold nuggets of wisdom that, again, like cold emailing or, um, you know, figuring out you know, a connection who has a connection to someone who's hiring where you want a job and, you know, messaging them on LinkedIn um, with a friendly, friendly reminder that you've applied. Um, or again, uh, just being open to volunteer opportunities that could lead to jobs. Um, and again, if I think that if you're open and you're looking and you are strategic about, you know, don't just quit a job because you're tired of it one day, if, if you can if you can make it right, if you're not totally burned out, if you can 
wait until you can strategically resign from the position. Um, again, when you have your benefits lined up and your savings and or, or a, a person you can move in with in a, in a different metro area with new opportunities. Um, if you can strategically leave a job, um, you know, try, try to do that. Um, but if you, if you do all those things, I really believe that you know, social mobility is at your fingertips. And I hope through these different perspectives, again, people other than me who have changed to different fields or have done different things in their attempt to, you know, better their life, uh, that you'll, that you'll find that wisdom and those, those, those resources you need to, uh, to do it. So I appreciate you listening. Um, please provide us with any feedback. My co-organizer and I are happy to, uh, to base this series on what, what other people need, especially people who you know, feel like they, you know, want more social mobility. They want more access to resources and knowledge that could help them improve themselves. So thank you again. And uh, I hope you enjoyed and learned from my perspective.